Welcome to the Disrupt Your Career podcast, brought to you by Claire Harbour and Antoine Tirard. We're passionate about helping everyone find fulfillment in their work life. We believe that big, messy, uncharted career changes are inevitable. And it's up to you to decide. Will you take control and disrupt? Or allow yourself to be disrupted? We wrote the book about it. And now we share here our conversations with other thinkers in this crucial area. Settle down and get ready to listen to this dose of wisdom. So in this episode of the Disrupt Your Career podcast, we're welcoming Al D. He is a career and leadership coach. He's an author, a speaker, and a product marketer. He's also the founder of MBA Schooled and Career Schooled, and the author of MBA Insider, How to Make the Most of Your MBA Experience. Throughout his professional career, Al has helped hundreds of professionals set and achieve their career goals with a specific emphasis on career development, career transitions, and graduate education. So we have an awful lot in common, and I'm really looking forward, Al, to speaking with you today. Thank you so much for joining us and welcome. It's great to be here, Claire. Thank you for the opportunity. Good. So let's start, as we always do, with your career journey. You've been through several pivots of your own and challenges in your career, working directly with large corporations such as Deloitte Consulting and Salesforce for a decade or so. You've also taken on all kinds of side projects from a golf course job as a teenager onwards. And now you're a coach, a podcaster, a speaker, an author, and more, with the aim of helping people and organizations to get the most out of work while producing great work. Can you tell us how this amazing career unfolded? How much design and how much serendipity were involved? And what have been your key moments of pride and achievements? Thank you for the humbling introduction. I would love to say that I had it all planned out and it was one part of one big master plan, but definitely was not. That said, uh, what I will say, and I think I will give myself a little bit of credit for two things that I think that I've always done well. The first is that I have always leaned into my curiosity in terms of exploring what that was. And the second thing is, is that I found ways to take the curiosity and to move it from curiosity to some sort of action or experiment. And I think what that's allowed me to do is to constantly explore things that have created unseen opportunities that were in the moment that eventually led to something down the road. Now, as you and I both know, with the benefit of hindsight, when we look back at our career sometimes, we can certainly see some of the connection points and the things that align and relate. And as a really specific example, when I worked at a golf course, one of the things that I eventually had to do was to actually, I was a caddy. And once I got pretty good at being a caddy, one of my jobs was to train the new caddies that would come in each year. Later on, when I would be at Deloitte, one of my jobs was to train the incoming consultants and associates on how to skill up and to be an effective consultant. You can start to see how that might come into effect and how that might be impactful as a speaker, as a trainer, and as a leadership coach. And so now I can see how those things align and relate. And certainly I do think that there's something to be said about being able to look at some of the things that you really enjoy doing when you're a child, because you're naive and unencumbered and you don't really think about those things. You just do them because they're interesting. And so I think there is something to say for that. But at the end of the day, I think, as I mentioned, it's a lot easier to connect those dots in hindsight than in the moment, but really being able to explore those curiosities and then to reflect on what they are. And then finally, to be able to take actions with them is I think something that I did do well. And I would say in terms of key moments of pride or key achievements, 
I think something that's always been really important for me is that whenever I've felt like I've known something or that I could use my talents to contribute, I've wanted to find ways to take action around that. And so when I was in college, I was very involved in student government, as well as in different leadership roles and opportunities. I was actually the, to my knowledge, the very first Asian American student body president at Boston College of the student government. So that was definitely something that that really sticks with me. And then I also think that, and we can certainly talk about it now, but just even some of the ways in which something I am proud of is that, you know, on my third career at this point, a little bit less than 15 years into the totality of my working experience. And I think something I am proud of is that along the way, I've just always found ways to not only find work that is enjoyable and that allows me to contribute, but that has allowed me to really meet and work with great people who have helped me learn and grow, which has ultimately led to more opportunities down the road. Excellent. That is quite something to be on your third career within 15 years of starting. Well done. That fits everything that we preach and think about and love in our work. So it's great to be talking to somebody who's so convinced of the notion. So one of the things I'm wondering, Al, is, you know, you say that with with hindsight, then you can see all kinds of links and connections. You cite curiosity and exploration as being key. If you were to take everything that you've done at this point and think about the lessons that you've learned beyond what we've already said, what would you want to highlight? I think that one of the things that has really helped me over time is that I'm naturally just part of my personality, someone who is constantly reflecting. It's just part of my disposition and my DNA. And I think that has served me well. We can certainly talk about some of the limitations of that, but I think it served me well in the sense that whenever you're working or whenever you're making your way through your career, as much as you are thinking about perhaps the future, there's still a lot that's going on right in front of you. And we talk so much, or for anyone who's ever been through a job search lately or a career search lately, you will often hear about the importance of being able to know your stories, know the impact you made, know the skills that you have. And I think intuitively, all of those things make sense. But if you haven't had the time to think about those before, uh, some of those kinds of commands can feel a little amorphous. But when you are naturally someone like myself, who just constantly is thinking and self-reflecting, I've just been able to have a good sense of self, a good sense of my abilities, uh, my talents, my skills. And I think just knowing that and knowing how those translate has allowed me to take the idea of exploration and experimentation and to bring it to life. For example, I did realize early on that I was good at this training thing and I was good at getting them up in front of audiences and communicating them in ways that they understood. And as a result of knowing that, that was something where I went to my manager at Deloitte and said, hey, this is something I'm really good at. Are there more opportunities that I might be able to do this? And so one of the things that she recommended to me at the time was we had an internal learning and development program at Deloitte where you could actually learn to become a leadership facilitator. And so I went through that opportunity, which changed and altered my trajectory for the possibilities of how I could use that skill of being good at training and being good at getting up in front of audiences. Um, I didn't know what leadership facilitation was until she had said that to me. But what I did know in that case was I had a good sense of the things that I was good at. And I think part of that is self-reflection. And I also think part of that is just being able to pay attention and to be mindful of the things that you do every day. As I'm sure you may have heard before, sometimes we can't spot our own genius. And so 
being able to also listen to others is something that's been really helpful. I think the other thing, which I highlighted a little bit, but I think also something I've learned along the way, we often think a lot of times about career development as something that is on the individual themselves. And it is, and it starts with them. But I think if you and I were to go out and talk to 15 successful people and we were to ask them, how did you become successful in their career? I can assure you that almost 100% of them at some point would say, well, I also got the help from some really great mentors, or I had people who were sponsors who were opening and advocating for me and getting me into rooms and speaking on my behalf that I could not be in. And so as much as career development is an individual activity, it's also a team sport. And there is a blend and a nuance of taking individual ownership with being able to use the team you have to win with them and to win through them and not just trying to be the rugged individual who succeeds on their own. And I think that is something that has been a theme in my career along the way. I do believe that I have worked hard. I certainly believe that I've probably gotten a little lucky, but I also believe that because of my willingness and I think the insight I had of, of knowing that I didn't have to do it alone, if I cultivated the right relationships and worked with others, I could blend my own individual desires uh, with being able to get opportunities that I probably couldn't get on my own. And so I think there's definitely an importance of, yes, owning your career, but making sure that you're acknowledging that you live in a world that is much bigger than yourself and you will go farther and you will go faster and you will get to where you want when you open yourself up to being helped by others. And also in that matter, helping others too. Indeed. And I think that final point really underlines something that I've been thinking as you've been talking on that point is that yes, absolutely. We go faster and further with others and Um, those of us who are lucky enough to believe that we've had a happy and successful career for sure have benefited from the the help of others. But of course, we only actually get that help if we generate the right energy and the right goodwill around us. We're unlikely to get random help from nowhere. Um, So I think it's definitely also about being clear that what you're doing is creating goodwill, which opens up the possibility of being helped rather than swanning around hoping that somebody's going to walk into our lives and help us in a random way. So I love the fact that you have had all that help. It definitely demonstrates to me and to the beliefs that we have as a thinking partnership that you do get what you create. And that's it's a beautiful way of seeing it. Thank you. Now let's talk about the transition you made from being a corporate employee to a freelancer and a consultant. I mean, it sounds to me as though you've sort of floated quite naturally between the two ever since you started that job at the golf course. But nevertheless, you know, you'd got well ensconced at Deloitte, you were taking opportunities and enterprise activities of, you know, getting different stuff done, you were valued, you then went on and did some more corporate roles. But you know, how did you finally make the decision and what did it feel like to leave behind the security of a corporation? For me, something that I've always just had going back to middle school, high school is I've always had other outlets outside of what I was doing in my core day job. And we'll just use being a student as my core day job at, at one point, but I've always had an extra outlet to pursue creativity related projects or things of curiosity or interest. And certainly in middle school and high school and college, those might've been extracurricular clubs and activities, being involved in sports teams, volunteering in the community. 
But as I got into the workplace and workforce, that was something where I definitely struggled with at first because I wasn't sure how to really recreate that in this new environment. But over time, I did figure it out. And for me, at least, that way of doing that was I started writing and blogging on the side just about things that I was interested in and, again, curious about. And so for me, at least, my journey with freelancing and being a solopreneur really started as a, as a side hustle. I had been writing on my blog, which is called MBA Schooled, which is a blog that is meant to, was meant to guide prospective and current students about the value of an MBA degree and how to use your time in business school to grow your career. But I had started a blog and just started writing about those topics. And over time, some people started coming in and saying, hey, this is really good. Would you come do a talk on this? Or hey, would you maybe consider coaching me on this? And so again, being able to explore, experiment, follow your curiosity, but then also to be able to pay attention to the feedback signals that I was getting. And so when someone comes and says, hey, you're really good at this. We want you to come to our school and we want to pay you to come speak about this. That's a pretty strong signal that you're doing something okay. And I just kept paying attention to that over time. This was all a nights and weekends, labor of love, side hustle kind of thing. And so I did that for many years and it eventually kind of went through different milestones, if you will. So there was the first time where someone asked me to come you know, speak and they asked to pay me. There was the time when I was able to take that and to get a referral to speak at another school. There were times when I had schools who asked me to do multiple talks throughout the year. And so all of these signals started adding up and adding up and adding up and adding up. And then over time, I published a book, I started a podcast. And after a while, the signals start to get so loud and they start to get so frequent where you start to then again, because I am self-reflective, you start to wonder, what more could we do with this? What could this look like in my day-to-day -day if I were to do this as opposed to doing a thing that I was doing full-time, which at the time was uh, working at a tech company, Salesforce, doing product marketing. And while I loved what I was doing and I loved my colleagues and my coworkers, I just had this burning desire and this curiosity to follow this thing that I had been working on for seven or eight years up until that point. It definitely was scary. Uh, up until that point, I had only known what it was like to be a fully employed W-2 worker who was earning a steady paycheck, working at great companies, having secured benefits. And furthermore, both the companies that I worked at over my time, they were pretty large companies. And so you know, there's a certain amount of resources and comfort that comes with that. So it definitely was a little nervous to think about what could this be differently, but it was also thrilling and exciting. I mean, I've always been someone, again, who has had that curiosity and that desire to explore and to experiment. And certainly there is a lot in entrepreneurship where that really, particularly when you're early on, where that is just part of the job. And so the last thing that I would say here was that when I decided to make the transition to becoming a full-time uh, solopreneur or entrepreneur, one of the things that I realized uh, working in my career was that while I had, by objective measures, done quote-unquote well in the corporate world, as much as I looked out to the future of what my job and what my life could look like, while I saw a lot of benefits, I also saw some challenges and drawbacks just in terms of how that would fit in with the rest of my life. And I was just honestly getting to a point in my life where, because I don't know if you want to call it getting older, <laughs> getting wiser, I just realized that what I really valued at this point was having the agency and autonomy to control my work and having a little bit more 
desire to want to decide how I wanted to spend my days. And so I think that was a big piece of this for me was knowing that, you know, as I thought about my career or for where I was at this moment, that was something that was super important to me. And the nice thing as I looked more and more into entrepreneurship was that that is one way where if you do want some agency or autonomy, you can get it perhaps maybe more so than working at a large corporation where you really do need to sometimes get in line so the trains can run on time and so that the company can be effective. And so, yes, it definitely was was challenging and scary, but I also think it was the acknowledgement that for where I am in my career right now, this is what is going to serve me best. Fantastic. So let's turn our minds to early career professionals. What advice would you give them? Somebody who's starting out, doesn't have much more clue than you or I had when we started, what would you be wanting to tell them? It's a long journey. <laughs> no, I mean, but but yes, I mean, for yeah. anyone who's entering the workforce, the reality of it is, is that your first job and your first career is probably not going to be your last one. That statement is true for almost everyone. So I think that's the first thing. I think the second thing is just to also just to take a little bit of solace in knowing that there's a decent likelihood that if you are feeling challenges or if you are feeling frustrations, that what you're feeling is not wrong. And it's definitely not uncommon. Literally, there are millions, if not billions of people who have gone through that. And many of them have found their way. And so will you as well. Know that you're not alone. You know What I would say from that in terms of trying to be more, a little bit more practical about it I do think it comes back to that ability to articulate a curiosity and then to explore it. When you're starting off your career, one of the things that you don't have is just exposure and experience. The way that you get that is through doing things, like quite frankly. And once you do things, being able to get a feedback loop on it. And so when you are in that first job, uh, being able to go and take that first set of tasks and responsibilities that you get hopefully to be able to do them well, but then to learn from that. Learn from that in terms of how well did you do that? What could you have done better? What did you like about doing that? What elements of it were most interesting to you? And being able to start cataloging and getting a better understanding of answers to those questions, those are what fuel the next set of opportunities that may come your way. And so I think that in particular, if you are someone in particular who isn't maybe in a job that they see themselves doing forever. I think it's the acknowledgement of, yes, that may be true. And there is something that I can use from this experience that might come in handy down the road. So let's, for now, pay attention to what that is, because those opportunities, I may not be able to see them yet. But if you can be better about understanding what you like about them, what you don't like, how you use your strengths, those can fuel the next set of opportunities. And then the other thing I would just say is that, and it goes back to something I said before, you are not alone in this journey. And no one can tell you what you think you should be doing in your career besides yourself. There are other people out there who can help you along the way. And as we talked about before, it means being able to put yourself out there to be able to ask for help and to be able to kind of articulate what you're doing and the value that you're adding and, and specifically you know, where you want help or how you want to be mentored and all those types of things. But I think sometimes in particular, if you are in a challenging position, it can be easy to feel like you need to turn inward right, and to solve this on your own. And so the, the advice that I would give in that situation is look outward, look to the people who are around you, who can give you ideas, who can give you feedback, who can support you, um, and who you can do the same for as well. Because sometimes in those moments, you'll actually learn quite a bit too, and open yourself up to opportunities if you didn't take advantage of them. Indeed. Indeed. Now, let's think about your different media. 
Despite being a prolific podcaster, YouTuber, article writer, and speaker, you've also chosen to go the traditional route and written a book, which we've already mentioned, The MBA Insider. Can you tell us a little bit about the choices you've made and the competing priorities that you've been managing in doing all of this? What it comes back to for me is just always thinking about what is the outcome or specific priority that I'm trying to achieve? And then what are the means in which I would like to achieve them? And for the question around the means, I think a lot of that is going to come back to what are the things that are either going to advance me towards that outcome, as well as that I'm going to enjoy doing while I go through that. Writing the book and writing MBA Insider for me was that I I think I'd always known that I'd be curious in writing a book. And I wanted to also not only do that for the sake of learning how to do it and being able to go from zero to one to bring something to the world. But at that point, I had written maybe 300 or so blog posts. And I had talked to you know thousands of MBA students. And I wanted to be able to summarize what I had learned and to put it together and to package it up into something that people could use as a guide uh, to being able to understand if an MBA was right for them. And if so, how they could best navigate their MBA experience. And so at the time, you know, for me, it was the goal and the outcome was really around how do I take the knowledge that I've had and really distill it down into something that is repeatable and that can scale to a wider audience. And then the means was being able to do it in a media and in a book form. And there was certainly a lot of interest in me in terms of wanting to learn how to do that. But I also just knew it would be a, a much more effective way to reach a wider audience. That's kind of what I think about. I think for some of the other things that I've done, I'm always trying and experimenting with new things because I, I just think that's where the learning really comes in. But more than that, I think one of the things that I've always been good about is that I've always wanted to have a point of view and I've always wanted to share it with others to learn, but also to refine. And so I think that in particular, I found media, whether it's a book, a podcast, a blog, or just being active on these channels as a way for me to refine my own thinking, as well as it is a way to be able to connect and collaborate and learn from other people who share the same interests and curiosities that you do. And I can very much tell you that, you know, as an entrepreneur now, some of the business that I've gotten has been directly from being able to do just that in terms of being able to put content out there that has resonated with someone to the effect that they've reached out for a conversation, which has eventually led to something down the road. And so, yes, it's a little bit about being anchored in my priorities. It's a little bit about making sure I'm doing things that will get me towards an outcome, but that I also enjoy. But it's also the experimentation can often get you connected to people uh, who can, at the very least, be great thought partners, which is not a bad thing to have. Fantastic. In your book, one of the things that I enjoyed thinking about was the fact that you talk about life after the MBA. You know, it's it's all very well to think about, do I want it and how do I do it? But then there is this great big transition that people are expecting and wanting and desiring. But in reality, the shift is not quite as easy as people might imagine, and it's a fairly neglected subject, both within the schools and in literature, I think. So could you elaborate on some of your ideas about what that after MBA experience can look like? And if you've got any concrete examples or tips that you could share, that would be fantastic. Thankful you asked about that, just because it was one of the most popular chapters in the book. And the idea for this chapter, just to start, like one of the things that they tell you when you're writing a book is that oftentimes you end up writing the book that you wish you had. Oh, yeah. We teach what we most need to learn, right? 
Exactly. So there's definitely a, a perhaps a little bit of self-serving nature in terms of writing that chapter. And when I was writing the book, I was about four or five years post business school. It was definitely something that I was thinking about, but also it was something that I was having in conversations with my classmates and my friends who had gotten MBA degrees. And the basic premise of it is that, as you know, uh, most people who go to business school or get an MBA typically graduate with, at the very minimum, roughly 30 years left in their career, right? If not more. And so you go to this educational experience that's meant to be transformative, that's meant to help you get to a new career outcome or to get to a career outcome that you couldn't have gotten to on your own. I think a lot of times it gets put on a pedestal for good reasons. And I just kept hearing over and over again in my conversations of, I got this degree. I'm really proud of what I did. I'm really proud of where I am. But now what? You're 30, give or take. You have a new career. Maybe you like it. Maybe you don't. Maybe you want something new. Maybe you don't. Maybe you're rising, but you're not sure if you want to keep rising. And there was just kind of this wondering of, of what do I do now? And to your point, so much of what is focused on is really getting to that career outcome after or with the degree, which is really, really important. But there wasn't really nothing that was talking about, well, what happens next? And so that chapter really was meant to acknowledge and see the people who were being challenged by this question, just like myself, but also to provide some insights as to what it could look like and some ideas for how you could think about this and how you can explore it. And I think it does go back to the thing that I said earlier of for people who graduate business school, the first job or career after business school is not going to be the last one, right? And so then the question becomes, all right, well, how can you use your time in business school to develop skills or experiences that you can take with you far after that first job or career? We talk about the MBA as being uh, an investment and the ROI isn't just when you get get it, the ROI continues on after. So one of the questions becomes, you know, what can you do in business school so that you can have that go with you for the rest of your career? And then I think the other thing is, is that once you get to the rest of your career after business school, how do you take what you've learned from there and apply it in ways that continue to compound and grow? And a really small example of this is that, as I think you know, you learn a lot of really great job and career skills when you are in business school in terms of knowing how to position yourself, knowing how to talk about yourself, uh, knowing how to do informational interviews, knowing how to network, all those types of things. Those don't end when you leave business school. They go with you for the rest of your career. And then I think the other thing, which I think you may appreciate just given the work that you do, is just that if you are feeling a certain discomfort about where you are in your career or that you may want to do something else, that is a feature, not a bug. And it's just giving people the space and permission to understand that because they have this degree and because they have these other things, they can begin to think more expansively about how do I want my career to be, right? You know, what are the ways I want to bring all the things I have into my life, which includes my career, but it could be in other areas as well. And so that chapter was really meant to give people a little bit more prescription around what that could look like to show how different people were doing it and to give some ideas around if you are struggling with this, how here's how you could think about it too. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, may we all keep that wisdom till the very end. Let's talk about your podcast. You've recorded over 150 episodes with all kinds of really impressive guests. Tell us about who have been some of your favorites and why. One of the things about my podcast that I've, I've loved is that it does give you a chance to bring on people that you just want to talk to because that's fundamentally what a podcast is. Uh, there's two people in particular that I want to highlight. Uh, the first is a gentleman by the name of Tim Sanders. Tim is at Upwork, but he is also the author of a New York Times bestseller called Love is the Killer App. 
I got Tim's book when I was probably about 14 or 15 in high school. And it fundamentally changed the way I thought about connecting and building relationships with other people. And so the ability to bring on someone whose book had such an transformational impact on my life, and I talked to him about the book. Uh, The book was written over 20 years ago, sold over millions of copies, translated in different languages. But the ability to have him on to talk about that and to talk about how to build relationships in today's modern age was very something I, I looked forward to and was very appreciative of. I think the other one that comes to mind, another person who has been influential to me is someone in our field uh, by the name of Lindsay Pollock. Lindsay is a career expert, a workplace and career expert, and her book made an impact in my life as well. Um, her first book was all about going from college to career. And I remember being in my first job out of college, really struggling in terms of trying to figure out how to do this work thing, how to live as an adult. And I remember Googling, I think, something to effective like from college to career. I came across her book. It helped in the moment, but I followed her along the way. And being able to have her on and to you know be at a point where I could talk to her just about the world of work, how to grow a career today, um, was really meaningful to me. One, because it showed how far I had come in my own career. But two, to know that she had a role in that and just the ability to kind of have that conversation with someone who you know has had an impact on your life was super, super meaningful. And after the episodes were over, both of them were incredibly generous, incredibly kind, you know, individuals. And so those are two that really stand out to me and something that I'm really grateful for. Fantastic. Well, we will make sure we include a link to your podcast so that our listeners can go and share the wisdom that you speak of so enthusiastically. Let's turn our attention to organizations. Um, You know, you've touched on the fact that uh, you believe strongly, as we do, that there's not just a duality, but there's a whole range of inputs and energies involved in managing a career. But what would you like to see organizations doing better when it comes to both talent and career management? And if you have any great examples of people doing particularly well, I'd love to hear them. One of the things organizations can do, or I wish they would do, is that I would like to see them make career development and organizational capability, a business capability. And I want to see them do this because I think it's actually going to help them as much as it's going to help their people. Absolutely. The rankings of why people take on jobs or stay in jobs show us very clearly that they should be doing this. That's for sure. There are definitely companies that want to do this and there are definitely companies that talk about it. But where I see it, what I see typically happening, and I'd be curious to hear what you think about this, is that there is a lot of saying, you know, we want people to own their careers or we'd love for you to stay here. We want to move people internally. But a lot of those things tend to be either one-off statements or they're not necessarily backed up by organizational processes, structures, protocols, rewards that empower and enable that. And so the ability to make that an org-wide capability, which is valued by the company, as you can see through the reward structure, as you can see through the behaviors, and as you can see through the enablement and training that's provided, I think would really go a long way in terms of actually being able to take those sayings of own your career and we want people to move internally and to make them real. And so in general, that is an area where I could see companies doing more of or wish they would do more of. And I think if they did that, that would be really helpful to employees as well as it would be to employers. And I just think that part of that stems from, I just have this feeling from my own experience and talking with lots of people and doing this work that if you talk to a lot of people who are successful, a lot of times when you ask them, how did you learn how to manage your career? A lot of times they'll either tell you, 
A, it was by accident, or B, I got really lucky because I had someone who, and this was the case of me, I had someone who mentored and taught me and showed me the ropes. But I think if we make this an org-wide career development and organizational-wide capability, you could help solve some of that problem and you can give more people the access to understanding how they can think and move internally within their careers. Or in some cases, it may mean moving externally, but at the end of the day, you kind of want people at your company who want to be there and who want to contribute. And so I think getting the right types of people in your company also pays dividends for this kind of mindset. In terms of who's doing it well, it's tough. But one of the things I will say, and I'm a little bit biased, I think actually that there's a lot we can learn from professional service firms. I had a great experience working at Deloitte, but one of the things that they do well, a lot of times is really investing in things like learning and development and training and upskilling and the like. And the reason why they do that is because they know that their most important asset is their people, right? You know, when you're a consulting and professional services firm, your product is your people, right? And so the more you can invest in them, the better your product's going to be. And the better your product is, the more you can command in terms of, you know, the value in the market. And so I think there are a lot of consulting firms that do pockets of this really well in terms of how they structure their learning and development, the opportunities they provide to people to learn and grow. Um, and also the way that they treat um, employees when they leave in terms of alumni groups and career development opportunities and things like that. So those would be the things that I think about in terms of really what companies could do and and some examples of companies that might be at least starting on the journey to making inroads on this. That is fantastic. Now, if you, I guess, going a bit deeper into this subject and just getting into that nice fantasy thinking, if you had a magic wand and you could change one thing about the world of work, what would it be? Just one thing? No. Oh, yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think it would be that I would love to see their to be more education and training around how to manage your career and to really make that accessible to as many people as possible. I think the more that we can allow and empower people at younger ages to be career ready and to give them the mindset and practices that they can then use on their own to architect how they want to grow and develop in their careers, I think that's going to create more individual opportunity for each individual. And it's going to lead to better engagement and better productivity because you're going to get the right people in the right seats doing the right work. And so if I could wave a magic wand, I would try to find some compulsory career readiness education or training that everyone would have access to uh, within an organization. That sounds like something pretty worth going for. Perhaps we should join forces and go on a crusade. Let's talk about that more offline. Now, 18-year-old Al, what advice would you want to give him if you could go back? (laughs) So much. I think I wish I knew sooner that I didn't have to have it all figured out. But if I just would keep going and keep listening and keep my head above water, I'd be able to work through it. And look, I'm still on my journey, so there's still time. But I definitely feel I put a lot of undue pressure on myself to have things figured out, quote unquote, figured out. And I think that part of the beauty of the journey is the journey. And so I I just don't think I had an appreciation for that then, which I do now. And certainly some of that just comes from experience, but I think that would have been one thing. And And I think another thing would have just been that it would have tried to be a little bit more expansive about just my own thinking and relationship with quote unquote failure. I think I played it safe. 
or what I would tell my 18 year old self was go out and fail at something. Just go and just do it. Just like just purposely try to like stretch yourself and see what happens. I really think that I was so intent at the time on trying to be perfect that it took me a long time to really start to be able to get comfortable with being able to understand that it's okay. And that those are often learning opportunities that can fuel the next thing. And so I'm definitely in a much better place with it now. But if I had learned that sooner, I think it would have been a little bit helpful and probably helped me be a little bit less stressed. (laughs) Indeed. Indeed. That's beautiful. What's the most exciting project on your plate for the rest of the year? I am working a little bit on this idea of career readiness and career education. I've been working on some trainings and workshops that I've been delivering um, into companies and organizations. And so that has been all around this idea of career development. And so that is definitely something that really ex- excites me and gets me up you know, in the morning each and every day. And so that's definitely a big thing. The second thing that really excites me is that I'm continuing to really write a lot and to publish a lot. And while I did this before, now that I am an entrepreneur and can you know, have a little bit more control over my time, there are days now where I just have a couple hours of unencumbered time to really think and write and to produce some things. And so I have a couple of things that are hopefully going to be coming out later this year that'll be some of my own original thinking just around careers in the workplace in today's modern age that I'm super excited about. And then I think the last thing I would say is that Uh, It's just being embedded in the work. And so I do leadership development and facilitation work. And so I'm on the front lines working with first-line managers and early career employees who are trying to level up. And so learning more just about some of the challenges that they're facing in today's uh, workplace and trying to work with them on how to navigate them. I still love just being in the trenches with them and, and hearing about that and talking to them about it and trying to do what I can to help them untap their potential. So all three of those things, and that's my job. What a privilege to say that you get to wake up every day to get to do those things. And that that means a lot to me to be able to say I can do that. So yeah, there's a lot to be grateful for, a lot to be excited about. That's beautifully put, Al. Thank you very much. You know, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on board today and talking with such intensity about stuff that we're as excited about as you are. So I want to thank you for the great work that you do and for your insights and sharings today. And I know that the audience is going to love this. Thank you so much for being on. It's been a pleasure, Claire. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed hearing from this month's guest as much as we did. Do go and check out our work on disrupt-your-career.com and come back soon. Thank you.